of an anchor that keeps the soul. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. There are probably a lot of things that come to mind when you think about what it is the Lord would want from you. What I want to do is isolate some very specific things that I believe that Jesus wants from each and every one of us. As we look at the characteristics that I think are set forth in the Bible, there are some things that maybe we would do well to consider. Sometimes we overlook things that the Lord would require of us or want from us. What we're talking about today, basic, fundamental. And so I want to begin by talking about that first and foremost, Jesus wants your love. The Lord Jesus Christ wants your love. I want to begin by maybe looking at it from this perspective. Jesus loves you. I'm not sure how old I was when I first became acquainted with the old song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Most of us as children learned that song, basic, fundamental, an absolute truth. Jesus loves you and he loves me. I think we need to appreciate the fact that the Lord, that he does love us. And because he loves us, he wants us to love him. The Bible talks about the declarations of his love. I think about the words of Jesus in John 15 when he said, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus talked about the love of God, the love of the Father. That verse that so many of us are familiar with. Again, going back to childhood, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To know that God in heaven loves me personally, individually, and to know that he has spoken of the great love that he has for all of us. You know, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has made us alive together with Christ. To know that even though I might live in sin, God loves me. The Lord loves me. And then I think about how he demonstrated his love for us. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us. How did he do that? Christ died for sinners, didn't he? You see, God has shown us how much he loved us by sending his son. And so again, going back to what Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I think about the great sacrifice that Jesus made to come to earth Jesus, of course, the second member of the Godhead. 
taking upon himself human flesh and coming to earth to live and die for me. And so I think about his sacrifice and his suffering. Yes, Jesus loves me. But what about my love for him? Did you know that Jesus wants you to love him? We talk about love. And sometimes I know that we we use that term very loosely today. But I want you to know that Jesus is vying for your supreme affection. He wants you to love him above any and everything. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10? He that loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is saying that he is worthy of our greatest affections. In Matthew 22, Jesus would say, when asked, what is the great commandment? He said, oh, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment. I want to ask you today, do you love the Lord? Jesus wants your love. Now, here's a question. How do we show our love for the Lord? Is it possible for me to show by the way that I live my love for him? Well, the answer is yes. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to listen to him in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We show our love and honor and respect for Jesus by doing what he says. In 1 John 5, 3, John said, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome or grievous. I think sometimes we have the idea that the commands of God are burdensome or wearisome that they prevent us from living as we want to live. Maybe what we ought to do is look at it from another perspective and realize that the commands of God are intended for our good, our betterment. When we incorporate the will of God into our lives and begin living as he would have us to live, there is a sense of peace and joy and happiness. You can live in this life with a sense of purpose. The Bible talks about the purpose of life. Fear God, keep his commandments. Because Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12 at verse 13, this is man's all. There's a second thing I think the Lord wants from all of us. I want to suggest to you that Jesus wants your life. Yes, he wants your love, but he wants your life. I understand that the two go hand in hand. I want to begin by talking about how Jesus gave his life for you. Sometimes in order for us to appreciate what the Lord wants from us. We have to look at it from the vantage point of what he has done for us. So, Jesus gave his life for us. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. In verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus hold back anything in coming to earth? Not one thing. When I read passages like Philippians chapter 2, it's hard for me to somehow wrap my mind around the fact that Jesus, who has always existed as a second member of the Godhead, was willing to be clothed upon with human flesh, come to earth, live among his own creation, and die. Paul said he took the form of flesh. He said being made in the likeness of men, he became obedient unto death. 
Yes, even the death of the cross. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible tells us that Jesus tasted death for every man. I want you to understand that Jesus gave his life for you. Had you been the only person to have ever lived, Jesus would have died for you. So let me ask this question. What is it Jesus wants from you? He wants your life. He doesn't, he doesn't just want a part of your life. He wants the entirety of your life. There's an interesting passage found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. And it talks about Jesus Christ as being the agent by which the church came into existence. Paul said he is the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then he said that in all things he might have the preeminence. What is it Jesus wants from me? He wants me to make him preeminent in my life. In other words, he wants me to put him first. There can be no one in that place and be pleasing to him. The passage we read a moment ago, Colossians chapter 3 at verse 4, when Paul said, when Christ, listen to him, who is our life. Paul was saying, look, when it comes to my life, it's all about one person. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I understand we have people that we love, we appreciate, we have things that we like to do. We have interest and hobbies. We have a job. There are so many things that captivate us from the vantage point of life. But Paul is saying, when you begin to sift through everything in life, if you want to know what's really the hub, the core of my life, it's Christ. That's what really captures my attention. Think about, if you would, for a moment, think about what Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith. He prefaced that by saying, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I want you to think about something for just a minute. We understand that Jesus gave his life for us. And what he wants is our life. Where does it begin? It commences at our conversion. When we obey the gospel, what we're saying in effect is we're on board with the Lord. My life is his life to use as he sees fit. There is the death of self. Paul would write in Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. The idea is that I have yielded my life to his will. When I become a Christian, I am I'm really putting to death that old person, that old way of life. You remember on Pentecost Day when Peter spoke to that multitude, multitude of people that were present in Jerusalem. And the Bible says they were cut to the heart. So they cried out and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Repentance means a change of heart, a change that is really demonstrated in my activities, my actions. 
when I come to Christ, I turn from one way of life and I embrace another way of life. Am I forgiven? Yes, I am. I'm then placed in the body of Christ, the church. And so what the Lord wants from me following my conversion is my consecration. He wants me to live a consecrated life. What does it mean to be consecrated to the Lord? It means to be dedicated to his cause. There are two things I want you to see. Number one, I want you to understand that Jesus wants the best of your life. Now, I don't care if you're 18 or 80. When you come to Jesus Christ, Jesus wants the best. Go back and look at those animal sacrifices that were offered under the old covenant. What was it God wanted? He wanted the very best. The Bible talks about how we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. God wants my very best. Why is that? Because he is preeminent in my life. Because my life is wrapped up in him. As a result of that, I want to give him my best. I want to give him the best that I have to offer him. Whether it's my time, my talents, my treasures, it doesn't matter. The Lord wants my best. I want to ask you this. In terms of what God gave the human family, what did he give? He gave the very best. What about Jesus? Did he not give the best? Listen to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul said, you have heard of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Jesus wants the best of your life, and he wants the rest of your life. I said a minute ago, it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 80. When you come to Jesus Christ, what you're saying, in effect, is, Lord, you have my life. Use it as you see fit until death do us part. And then we don't really part. We just, go to be with, we just go to be with him in another place. But what we're saying is that while we're here upon this earth, we're going to live for him day in and day out. We're saying that for the rest of our life here upon earth, it's all about the Lord. Now, again, I'm not saying that we don't have other interests, hobbies, activities. We have jobs. We have family members. We have friends. But in terms of what's preeminent, oh, the Lord is. Everything else is a distant second or third or whatever. But he's number one. So giving myself to him for the rest of my life. Think about the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote Colossians chapter 4. Or rather, Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. He wrote chapter 4 as well. I want you to think for just a minute about the Apostle Paul. When he was converted to Christ, what was his past like? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said he'd been a persecutor, a blasphemer. He said that he had inflicted injury upon others. But he said the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. To whom? To him. He was basking in the blessings of Almighty God. So when he was converted to Christ... Did he give his all? Yes, he did. I mean, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and look at the hardships and the trials and the tribulations that he faced here upon this earth. He laid it all on the line. Let me tell you what. Jesus laid it all on the line. He, he gave everything. Sometimes we talk about in, in the athletic realm. 
about how he or she left it all out on the court or all he or she left it all out on the field. Let me tell you what, when Jesus came to earth, he held back nothing. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he wants my life, the entirety of my life. And so in looking to the life of the Apostle Paul, when Paul signed on in service to the cause, it was faithfulness until death. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said death. Death was imminent. He said, my life is already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul understood. It wouldn't be long before Nero Caesar would have his head. And so he could say, I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I have finished the race. Paul, did Jesus get the best of your life? Yes, he did. Did he get the rest of your life? Yes, he did. Two questions that we have to answer. Will Jesus get the best of my life? And will he get the rest of my life? I don't care if we're 18, 38, 48, or 88. Will he get the best of my life for the rest of my life? Thirdly, let me share with you one more thing Jesus wants from you. and That is, he wants your loyalty. Did you know that Jesus is loyal to those of us in the human family? He is loyal to those of us who are his. He'll never let you down. You know, there are, there are friends and family members that will sometimes, they'll promise to do one thing or they'll promise to be there for us. And then for whatever reason, they're just not, they're just not there. They don't stand by us. They're not true to their word. Let me tell you what, when it comes to loyalty, you'll never find anyone more loyal to you than the Lord. Let me show you how he demonstrates his loyalty to you. Number one, he functions as your mediator. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. A mediator is a go-between, somebody that brings two parties together. Jesus Christ went to the cross, didn't he? When he went to the cross, what did he do? He brought God and the human family together. Through what? The cross. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 2.16? That he brought both Jew and Gentile alike unto God through the one body. And so to know that Jesus Christ is the one who functions as a mediator between God and men. Not only is he a mediator, the Bible says that he is an intercessor. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 that he ever lives to make intercession. For us, here's the Lord interceding on my behalf. Add to that, if you would, the idea that he is my advocate. When I become a child of God, one of the things that I'm striving to do is rise above a life of habitual sin. Sometimes, though, I'm not what I ought to be. Sometimes I say and do things that I shouldn't do. My ideal is to rise above sin. But what happens when I succumb to temptation? Listen to what John said in verse John 2. He said, my little children, these things I write to you that you sin not. That is, that you rise above sin. But he said, if any man sins, let him know he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The picture is that of Jesus standing before the bar of heaven. What is it that, what is it that exonerates me in the sight of Almighty God? The blood of Jesus. To know that the blood of Christ is working in my life and that I can enjoy peace with my Creator. 
that I can have the peace that passes all understanding. There's one other thing I want to share with you very quickly along these same lines. And that is to know that we have the presence of the Lord with us day in and day out. You know, at best, life is tough, isn't it? I mean, I don't know how people get through life without the Lord. When I see some of the things that people experience in life, the hardships and the trials and the financial reversals, when I see people that lose their jobs, when I see individuals that lose loved ones, when I think about all of the things that can happen in life, and to know that there are some people that are trying to make it solo, they're trying to make it on their own, I don't know how they do it, but to know that when I become a child of God, the Lord will stand by me come what may, it doesn't matter what kind of, what kind of, well, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. The Lord's going to be there for me. And not just for me, but with me. Listen, if you would, to what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 13. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Think about that for a minute. The Lord is saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Remember the apostle Paul when he wrote to Timothy? We talked a moment ago about chapter 4, 2 Timothy. The fact that Paul was facing death. And he said, at my first defense, no man stood with me. But then he said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Let me tell you what, in terms of loyalty, you can count on the Lord. Why is that? Because Jesus will be loyal to you. Now here's the question. Will you be loyal to Jesus? You see, Jesus wants your loyalty. He wants, he wants to be able to depend on you. You say, well, in what way? What what?" What could the Lord possibly want from me in terms of loyalty? Well, number one, he wants you to be supportive of his cause. And you say, what's, what's his cause? The church. The church is compared to the body. That is the human body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You take this human body and you see that every member of the body has a part, doesn't it? Every member of the body is to function in concert with the other members of the body. Why? So that the body will be what it ought to be. So that it will function at capacity. You see, what the Lord wants from you is, he wants, he wants you to be loyal in supporting his cause. And his cause is the greatest cause that I know. To know that as a member of the body of Christ, I'm going to do what I can, where I can, and when I can. And I'm going to do all I can. In John chapter 6, we read an interesting account of Jesus. He had fed a multitude of people. And if you can believe it, there were lots of folks that were following Jesus for the loaves and the fish. They're just following, they were just following him for what they could get out of him. And so Jesus said, don't labor for those things which perish. There are lots of benefits and blessings to being, a, to being a child of God and to being a part of his cause. And I'm thankful that in the church there is fellowship and there is the fullness of fellowship. And there are lots of good times and there are occasions when we come together and we enjoy one another's company and we eat and drink and have fun together. Please listen very carefully. There's more to Christianity than to just coming together and eating a common meal together and spending time. There's work to be done. And sometimes folks are, they're all on board when it comes to the fun activities. 
But when it comes to the work, nowhere to be found. What the Lord wants is for you to be supportive of his cause. Secondly, he wants you to share his cause. Did you know that you could be an influence for good in the lives of other people? Think about your children, your grandchildren, your brothers or sisters. One day, every one of us will be in eternity. Think about that for a minute. You'll be in eternity, I'll be in eternity. My child will be in eternity, and your children will be in eternity. Where will that be? Please listen very carefully. Our children, our grandchildren, our brothers and sisters, they may not make it to heaven if we don't, if we don't take the time to share the gospel with them. The gospel is the greatest, greatest message I know. Talk, talk about selling the gospel, it'll sell itself. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You got a family? You got friends? You got neighbors? You got co-workers, classmates? The Lord wants you to be loyal in sharing his cause. And then he wants your loyalty in being steadfast in his cause. Once we become a Christian, it is it's a lifelong deal. I like to look at it from the vantage point, we're in this thing for the long haul. Will there be bumps along the road of life? Yes, there will. Will there be highs and lows, joys and frustrations, good times, bad times, happy times, sad times? Yes. Why? Because we live on planet Earth. Life is not perfect here. So what I've got to do is I've got to say, you know what, come what may, I'm going to be steadfast to his cause because I know that at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, there's something to be said for faithfulness to his cause. That's why Paul said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Is it worth living the Christian life? I promise you it is. I want to close by saying this. You know, from a personal vantage point I have seen both sides of the fence I have seen what it's like to live the life of a rebel I'm just being honest with you I've seen it I have seen it firsthand. did I have fun I had fun did I have did I have guilt I had a lot of guilt did I know that what I was doing was wrong yes I knew I'd been taught better. One day that light went off. I said, you know what? I've had enough of this stuff. The Bible talks about the prodigal son and how he came to himself. Sometimes that light needs, needs to pop on. I made a decision a long time ago. I'm through with this, this old way of life. I'm through with it. I'm tired of it. And so I made a decision. I wasn't going to live like that any longer. I tell you that because I want you to know that I have seen the other side of the fence and people talk about how much fun it is in the world and all the happiness and all the contentment and on and on and on that's out there. Let me tell you what. Yeah, you can have some happiness. But it's temporary. You can have a lot of fun in the world. It's not right. Not going to get you to heaven. At best, at best, best it is very temporary and one day this life will come to a crashing halt then what are you going to do you see I had to answer that
so do you. So I want you to know that I've seen the other side of the fence. It's not all it's cracked up to be. If you don't believe me, read the prodigal son. Wasn't all, wasn't all that, that he thought it would be either. I've lived a Christian life. Have I made mistakes? Yes, I have. Have I said and done things that I'm not proud of? Yes, I have. But I'm trying. And I can tell you this. I wouldn't trade Christianity for anything. It's not for sale. I'm not going to sell out. Because I know when it's all said and done, this is the best way to live. Because I can go to bed at night and I can know I'm forgiven. I've been forgiven because of the blood of Christ. The Bible says in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I know Christianity is worth it because I can go to bed at night and I have the peace that passes all understanding. I know it's worth it because there is a sense of contentment that you just can't have in the world. There are some folks talk about their contentment and their happiness. Let me tell you what. It's all dictated on externals. Christianity, it's the only way to live. So, Jesus, he wants your love. He wants your life, and he wants your loyalty. The question is, will you give that to him? Will your anchor hold in the storms of life When the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love